Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from multiple locations in the San Gabriel Valley of sunny Southern California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead people to Jesus, a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you and opens your heart and inspires you to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Well, hello, church. Uh, it is good to gather with you today. My name is Anthony. I'm one of the pastors here at Real Life, and uh, it has been an incredible season in the life of our church. I do just want to say thanks to those of you who served at our pantry yesterday. Uh, we, we continue to feed hundreds and hundreds of people uh, every month because of your generosity and you showing up and helping make things happen. So thanks. And if you're visiting us today, you're visiting a church that is a generous church and a church that cares about their neighbors deeply and a church that makes me proud to help pastor them. Hey, uh, today, uh, I actually want to begin uh, the message by telling you about a, a heresy from the 11th century, uh, which, is, which is a wild thing to start a conversation with. I, I, I understand that. Um, so welcome to Real Life. Uh, this is where we find ourselves. We uh, talk about things that other churches might not talk about sometimes because life is messy. So we talk about messy things. And uh, in fact, we're in the middle of a series right now. Uh, whether you are in the room with us or you're watching us online or you're listening to the podcast, we're in week four of a series where we are talking about ways that people uh, get some things wrong when it comes to their belief in who God is and uh, who we are and, and the good works that we were created to do. Uh, and so we're, we're trying to bring sense to those things. We're, we're looking at what the Bible teaches about those things. And uh, whether you are visiting today for the first time or you call real life home, uh, let me introduce you today to the Bulgarian heresy. Uh, which it's not the name of a fictional book by uh, Dan Brown, actually. Uh, it's, it's the name of a heresy that comes from about a thousand years ago. Uh, and imagine, if you will, that someone told you that they had found like a, a secret book, right? Uh, it, it had been hidden and they found it and it's a secret book and they were excited to, to share it with you. Uh, and, and in this secret book, it tells of the conversation that, that Jesus had with just the disciple John uh, as their last meal together. And you might be going, well, wasn't there already a Last Supper? There was a Last Supper. This secret book tells of a, uh, a, a different, like a last, last supper between John and Jesus. Uh, now, in fact, this, this hidden book, uh, come, to, come to find out, is actually based off of another <laughs> hidden or, or secret book uh, that was written about 100 years after the life of Jesus and John. Uh, and, and in that secret book, um, the, as, as it started to circulate in, in the early church, in the second century church, uh, pastors and, and leaders in the church started seeing this letter go around, and they're like, hey, so this is some good fan fiction, but this did not happen. This, is not, this story does, does not count for anything. And, and yet you fast forward a, a thousand years later, and, and here in the, you know, when, when this is taking place, and the Bulgarian heresy begins to rise. It's in the Mediterranean region. And, and it's during a time when there is mistrust between uh, the church and people. There's mistrust between government and people. In fact, government and church has started to like blend together in such a way and began to oppress the people in such a way that there was massive distrust from kind of your, your ordinary, regular person like you or like me. And, uh, and this idea that, wait, 
there, there is a secret story that has been kept from us, made sense to them. Uh, and the idea that, like, and in this secret story, it tells of a creation narrative that helps make all of this make sense. Uh, and it was too convenient, really, uh, for those Christians to completely pass by. This new story uh, that was told that was, you know, it's a, it's a fan fiction based on fan fiction, but the people of the time didn't quite know that. It described the creation of the world in which God had two sons, uh, Jesus and also Satan. Uh, in fact, the way that this uh, story is told is that uh, God and Satan were like best friends. And as God created the heavens, uh, Satan was with him in the midst of that. And, and then Satan decided to, to rebel against God and God cast Satan down to the earth, where, as the people who teach this taught, Satan then created life as we know it. Wild, right? Uh, plants and, and an ocean and skies and, and even animals and even people, they taught, were the creation of Satan. And then in the secret book that was hidden for so long and, and then found, uh, we find that God had pity on those people who were created, but because Satan was not good at creating things, he created them without souls. God gave them souls. And then God, in his mercy, uh, sent Jesus to rescue them. And you can see some, some pretty dramatic shifts from kind of orthodox Christian thought uh, in, in the way that that story is told. And it keeps going because the, that story then tells people that from that point on, uh, that there was a war fought over people between the first and second son, between uh, Satan and Jesus, over the, the souls of mankind. And, and, and that battlefield of, of humanity, it impacted the way that governments worked because Satan had created those. So, of course, they were used by him. And it, it, it impacted the way that, that churches even ran because you know, everything they believed had been created by, by Satan. And so everything was in opposition to them as they followed after Jesus. They believed that all earthly power was under the authority of, of Satan. And, and wouldn't it be wild if, you know, that just happened in that one moment and then everyone kind of went, well, this doesn't feel like it fits in with most anything we've ever heard. We're going to throw this one away. And yet this seems to be a mindset that even today can persist. You know, we, we might call it different things. We might believe some of those things, but not understand the heresy that it was first grown in and, and rooted in. And, and to me, it seems like some of these heresies are, are like boomerangs, right? Like we, we identify and we go, oh, this does not line up with the clear teachings of Jesus and scripture. And so we, we throw it to get rid of it. And yet they seem to come back around. And if we haven't talked about it well enough, if, if you don't understand where these ideas first come from, uh, sometimes that boomerang is, is easier to catch. And part of why it's, it's easy to slide into heresies in, in this territory in particular when, when it deals with creation or, or the devil or, or angels, uh, you know, all of their relationship to Jesus. Well, it turns out that um, we've had some pretty strong imagery given to us uh, that confuse that matter, right? So there, there's, there ends up being a, a bunch of confusion in this area um, because of some stuff that has gone on in culture that helps give us pictures of things might maybe not in, in the way that they actually are. In fact, there's one person who's probably influenced your idea of what heaven and hell looks like 
uh, more than anybody else who you have never met. Uh, yeah, he, he lived about 700 years ago. He was a disgruntled poet who held political grudges. Uh, his name was Dante, and his work has shaped the Western views of the afterlife for the centuries that has followed his life. Now, if you visit my house, or if you uh, are the kind of person who wants to jump in and help my family move across town here in the, in the next month, uh, you will see um, a lithograph on our wall. I'm going to show you a picture of what that looks like. Uh, this picture, it's, it's the words of, of Dante's trilogy, uh, of, his, of his divine comedy. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a work of three different poems, and, and those words make up the images in this picture, in this piece of art, and, and it gives shape to uh, the, the imagery around what uh, Dante thought of when he thought of heaven, which, you know, paradiso. Uh, what he thought of purgatory, purgatorio, and what he thought of hell, inferno. In fact, if, if you've heard people talk about Dante's inferno, this is where they were taking those words from, whether they knew it or not. And while a lot of people study uh, productive and useful things in college, uh, I earned a degree in theology uh, and uh, spent much of my senior year focusing specifically on uh, the work of Dante and the influence that Dante has had on our moder modern understanding of the afterlife. Uh, and my emphasis then specifically was on how do we translate those things and those understandings to how we talk about the afterlife, heaven, hell, angels, demons with, with children. Exciting, right? That's, uh, that, that was kind of my, my sweet spot. And it, it's always been interesting to me that Dante has had such profound impact on how we imagine these things uh, because his motivating factor was not theological. It was political. His, his motivating factor was to be able to say which political opponents of his were going to be in hell. Like that was Dante's, like that was his punchline. He wanted to say, here, here are the good people. Here are the people we should elevate. You know, they're, they're in paradise. Here are the people who are close. And then there's these guys. And part of that's because Dante had actually um, been a part of a uh, political group that got moved out of power. And he, he resented that a bit. And so he wrote this, but but he did such a good job uh, that his imagery, it has stuck for, for centuries. Uh, Dante is considered by many to be the godfather of, of the hell narrative, that, that he uh, has influenced almost every single version of what hell could look like because of his imagery in the Divine Comedy. When you picture angels or demons, there's a good chance you're picturing something closer to what Dante described than anything that the Bible uh, has given words to. But, you know, in a way, the Bulgarians and Dante, they were both correct that there has been a battle that has been going on for centuries, uh, but it's actually being fought around the way that we uh, talk about and understand angels, demons, heaven, and hell. Much like the time that Dante was writing in, uh, the, the time of the Bulgarian heresy, uh, it, it took root uh, during a time when uh, there was not a lot of trust in powers. Uh, and, and both of those, those movements, Dante's work and, and the Bulgarian heresy, they were, they were shaped more by the political and social landscape than what the Bible clearly teaches on its own. And as we've told you before, we, we think of the Bible as a treasure map, leading us to those good things that God has created us to do. 
but it's also some, some caution tape around some things to make sure that we, we don't wander too far from those things that are true, from those things that help us become those people that God has created us to be. And so today we're going to let the Bible lay down some caution tape for us so we can stay away from some of the misconceptions that people develop about the spiritual realm. And then uh, we're going to treat it like a treasure map. We're going to let it lead us into those good works that God has created us to live into. We're going to start with some clear teachings from the New Testament, from from the Gospel of John, and then also from the New Testament book of Hebrews. Uh, And they both begin uh, making it clear the distinction between Jesus and angels and Jesus' relationship to creation. And then we'll see that if we get those relationships correct, uh, that the rest of things will fall into place. Let me, let me take a moment and, and pause and pray for us as we go into the reading of God's word. Let's pray. God, this is, a, this is a day where we need you because every day we need you. And, and we need you in this moment through your spirit to help us get a clear picture of your relationship with us, of your relationship with creation. Help us take away from your word today not just new knowledge, but knowledge we can put into action that we might show a world around us your deep love for them. God, we ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, our Lord and our Redeemer. Amen. Hey, so we are in the Gospel of John. It is the fourth Gospel written, so if you're flipping through your Bibles right now, it's going to be on the screen as well, but it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then the Gospel of John. We're going to be in chapter 1, so you don't have to dig very far in that one. And and John writes this in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And when when John says the Word, the Logos is, is the word that he, he uses there, he's talking about Jesus. Uh, and, and I like to think of this as John's version of the Christmas story. Uh, it, it's a little different than the ones maybe we, we tell around Christmas time, but it's the summer, so we can, we can do that, right? And uh, I just, cards on the table, this is my favorite way to introduce Jesus onto the scene because it reminds us he's there from the beginning. Verse 2, he, Jesus, was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that's been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then it's almost like uh, John uh, writes just to debunk the Bulgarian heresy uh, that's going to come thousand, uh, you know, a thousand plus years later. Um, John writes this uh, later down in uh, verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And the the first century church, they really were working hard to form their cosmology, their understanding of, in the creation of all things, like, where do we fit in? Where does Jesus fit in? What about angels? And what role does the Old Testament play in the lives of Jesus following believers as they move forward? And and the author of, of Hebrews writing around the same time that John wrote his gospel, sets out to address those concerns and, and even a little bit more. We're going to read the opening to the book of Hebrews together, and we're, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 1. Uh, if, if it's not familiar to you because you've looked at it before and gone, I'm going to skip over it. We're not going to skip over it today. We're going to look at this because I think it sets the stage well for the conversation we need to have. The author writes this, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom 
also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he'd provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he's inherited is superior to theirs. And then the author goes out of their way to quote from various Psalms and Old Testament texts to show that they're not just coming up with uh, this idea on their own. This is the idea that, that God has been revealing to his people for some time at this point. Verse five, for to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I've become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. In speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. And and it's almost as, as if the author knew we would need as much clarity on this subject as possible to to show us that Jesus's power is greater than any angel. They give us more quotes from the Old Testament that foretold of Jesus's superiority and his sovereignty. Verse 10 continues, he also says, in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment. They will be changed. But you remain the same, and yours, your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? So with that, where, where does that lead us to when it comes to looking at the Bulgarian heresy and the teachings that were prevalent at that time and maybe even still influence Jesus' followers today. Well, John's gospel clearly names Jesus was involved in the creation narrative. And and it ends with saying that that Jesus took on flesh when he became human. That was an important thing also to name. Uh, This heresy, much like many Gnostic heresies of the time, uh, tried to say that Jesus actually just came in spirit. He didn't have a body. He wasn't in flesh. Like It looked like it, but it wasn't really there. Was was one of the common teachings among uh, that kind of heresy. And, and it came out here as well. And, and John makes it clear, no, 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 he, he took on flesh. He was, a, he was real. Um, you know, part of why they do that is because they thought, well, because in their understanding of, of cos- cosmology, uh, Satan had made bodies and bodies are bad. So Jesus couldn't have one of those. We know God made bodies, right? And, and bodies are good. And, and so Jesus had one of those. The author of Hebrews also explicitly says that Jesus was involved in creating all things. They declare Jesus's superiority over the angels. Not only that, but the author uses Old Testament writings to show that that this cosmology, that this beginning, this order of things, that it is consistent with the whole of scripture. This is not some new secret story. This is the story that God has been telling from the very beginning of things. And yet, If the Bible is so clear about these things, how is it that Jesus followers can miss the target on this one, right? Why is it that we still act 
at times as though Satan has as much power as Jesus? Why do we act as though those we disagree with in, in government and leadership, that they're being influenced by uh, Satan, uh, and we discount Jesus's work or Jesus's ability to work in and through the, the powers and the authorities of this world? As people, it's because we're, we're drawn into being a, a part of a narrative where there is an epic battle taking place. Like, that's a thing that we're, we're just kind of wired for. Uh, we, we find where we exist in stories where there is a clear good guy or good team and a clear bad guy, bad team, because we like feeling like the good guy. And, and the draw of dualism, which is what this is called, uh, the draw of dualism is, is that it can give you an easy story to live into. One where there are two teams to be on, good guys, bad guys, and you get to live in judgment of the other team because they are working for Satan. But if we put off the Bulgarian heresy and the, the political writings of Dante and, and see things the way the, the New Testament authors wrote about things, we'd understand that the way we approach things needs to be different than that. Because what if Jesus actually created all things and has power over all things? What if all angels and all powers of this world submit to Jesus at the end of all things? What if we begin to understand that our cosmology, our understanding of where things come from and how things are ordered, that it has the power to, to give us a lens to see the world through where we don't just get to be on a winning team, but we get to help as many people as we can join the team before the breath in our lungs runs out until our time here is over and we are standing on the other side of the finish line cheering on those who are still running the race. As followers of Jesus, we are called to live as though the things that Jesus taught are true. Jesus was clear when he told his disciples in the gospel of Matthew. This is in Matthew 28, verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so today, as you consider your life and, and the way that you interact with the world around you, I wonder, are you living like you actually believe that all authority has been given to Jesus? that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. And if, if you have, if, have kids at home, or maybe your kids are grown, I wonder if, if we were to ask them, hey, do your parents live as though they believe that all authority under heaven and earth has, has been given to Jesus? I wonder what they might say. I wonder if you're, if you're married, would your spouse say that you live as though you believe that all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus, those who are closest to you, your friends, those you do life with, those you work with, if they were to consider your life, would they say, yeah, they absolutely live as though they believe at the core of who they are, that all authority has been given to Jesus, things in heaven and things on earth. And when you live as though Jesus has authority over all things, here's what that looks like. Here, here's how people might know you're a person of peace. You're a person who does not worry. It's the kind of peace that we are called to lead others toward. 
it's the thing that as people look at our lives as Jesus followers, they go, gosh, nothing seems to shake them deeply. Hard things happen to them for sure, but in the midst of it, they have this deep sense of trust that God's in control. Could you imagine leading others to that kind of peace? Could you imagine experiencing it for yourself? That's the kind of peace that Jesus has to offer you, has to offer me, has to offer us. The kind of peace that, that surpasses all understanding. You see, the, the remedy to the heresy that Jesus is in competition uh, with, with anyone uh, the remedy is to understand that, that all authority has been given to him. There, there is no competition. He wins. You're on the winning team. What you get to do with that is bring others onto it. The, the world around you is going to show you a battlefield with horned demons and winged angels and, 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 and they're in an epic battle and you are the prize that they're trying to win. But, but that's more Dante than the Bible. That's more heresy than it is truth. Instead, the creator of all things has rescued you. The creator of all things loves you deeply and has rescued you from having to worry about that battle. The, the rhythm of scripture, the story all along is that God desires to give you peace, to give you rest from worry to show you how deeply you are loved and to give you his grace. Not because of anything you've done to earn it, but because he gives it to you freely. There was never actually a competition. God's been in control the whole time. But it's up to you and it's up to us to receive and believe that and to live into that. That we might be on God's side of things, and, and having been rescued, we get to be a part of God's rescue plan to bring others into that same kind of peace. Are you ready for that? I know I am. I believe you are too. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you for the peace that you offer us. We thank you for the rest that you offer us. We thank you that you release us from worry. And so God, in this moment, we ask that through your spirit, we would receive those gifts you've given us, that we would receive peace, that we would choose rest, that we would believe that we do not have to worry because the battle has already been won and Jesus, all authority has been given to you. And now we ask that through our changed lives, you might use us to change the lives of others, that they might know your deep love for them, that we would move away from lies, we would move closer to truth and move closer to you. God, we love you and pray this in all things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week. I look forward to seeing you the next time we gather together. Go be the church. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.